Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. Okay. Uh, One thing you need to know, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. It's more than one thing, but it's okay. Um, Several things you need to know. Uh, I taught Sunday school. I sang in the worship band, all the stuff, all the things. (laughs) I'm now an atheist. (laughs) Not very specific. That's okay, though. There's a lot of things, though. Mm-hmm. I give you a C plus. Great. My I'll name is Nico. I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Um, also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it is not appropriate for children. This one's not that... Well, this one has, like, some violence, but it's it's kind of, like, poetic violence. It's not, like... <laughs> it's in service of the plot. Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, like, no, no pregnant women are going to get ripped open on the battlefield in oh, this one. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that I hear? It sounds like there's... (laughs) Someone's in the studio with us. Mm -hmm. Um, He's an award-winning writer and educator. His writing has been published in places like Guernica, The Atlantic Monthly, and 14 Hills. He's the chief artistic strategist at the Performing Arts Workshop in San Francisco and teaches writing at San Francisco State University, where I was a student of his when I got my MFA. He also teaches a super cool writing workshop called The Lab that you can take if you're in San Francisco. And he's also contributing to the anthology that I'm co-editing about people who grew up Christian but have since left the church. Matthew Clark Davison, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. So um, we ask all of our guests, uh, what is your religious background? And they've all answered so far. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I'm so prepared to answer. Yeah, I, I've, he- I've heard. And um, I'm one of the Catholics. Yes. Yes. I was raised Catholic um, in the way that you go to church absolutely every single solitary Sunday, like no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, the flu was not an excuse. Mm-hmm. Also, every single holy day. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that was- There's a bunch of those that I don't know about because- <clears throat> I was raised Protestant. Right. We have a lot of them. Well, Catholics have a lot of them and they're um you know, they're always inconvenient. <laughs> and um you know, then it's never Is fought. that is that by design or just a coincidence? Um yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So uh yeah, so I was raised Catholic. I was really into it. I was an altar boy. Oh really? Yes. I loved it. I I mean, there was kind of an audition. That's the way that I interpreted it. <laughs> and you had to go and try on like the dress uh-huh. or the cloak that you wore. And it had a rope belt. And I was really it was the seventies <laughs> and I was into rope belts. <laughs> sure. Dangling sure. rope belt. And Not just any rope belt. No. And there was an opportunity to uh, um, also ring bells. During the and when know, a young man gets an opportunity to ring bells, I mean he can't I, ignore it. I really wanted to ring that bell. <laughs> it was like a bell that had like three different bells on it, held together by like this Whoa. claw with three arms. And so, yeah, I was in. I I wanted a chance to be an altar boy, and so I went and and they picked me. And um, yeah, so I was into it. I was. Were really you offered it in it. the room or was it? I'm sorry. That's um, just I can't industry. remember. I don't remember if I had did a they, call. Did back. they call you back? Yeah. I'm not sure if it was like my agent. I'm pretty sure that they like desperately needed six people and five showed up. <laughs> and so we all got a, you know, we all got a chance. So yeah, I became an altar boy, and um, I was really into it. I really super believed in God. I remember a couple of things about um, how I was raised Catholic. One of them was that. I didn't know any people that at a certain point I didn't up until I was 10 years old. I don't think I knew a single person who wasn't Catholic mm-hmm. because I also went to a Catholic school. So <clears throat> I remember me, my parents moved from San Jose to Morgan Hill and my father had gotten a promotion and the uh, kid across the street for me was Jewish. And then another kid down the street was uh, Protestant. And I remember just like running home, like politely absorbing the information <laughs> with a poker face when <laughs> People told me what they were and then running home and being like, I met the nicest guys in the neighborhood, but they're going to hell. Because, <laughs> That's, yes. Yeah. I, in my baptized. in my diary from when yeah. I was 10 years old, I I have a like thing that I'm praying for my Jewish friend because I didn't want her to go to hell. Oh. I know. It's like weird, right? It was weird. I got over it really quickly because my mom was cool. She was like, oh, no, no, they're not going to hell. They're just not Catholic. <laughs> so, but I was like, but you're not at Sunday school or, or at school when they're te- saying the opposite. So um, my parents didn't believe in any of that 
those kinds of like literal things, mm-hmm. but um, they were very into their Catholicism. In fact, my mom was a nun. She had really? yes, she had. Uh, I can think of at least one problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, she she says uh, her words are that, uh, and she'll probably listen to this podcast. Uh, but her words were that she had a calling to go in, mm-hmm. and then she had a calling to go out, and when you're um, and then you became uh, lay affiliated, and she became like a, a lay Franciscan. And mm. I said to her, I remember saying to her, like, Mom, what does lay affiliation mean? And she said, Honey, it means you can get lay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect answer. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, so she was that. And then, you know, she was married to my dad for 30 years mm-hmm. and had three sons. And then, um, they went through an, the annulment process, which is a, a interesting Catholic thing. And then my mom dated a, a woman for seven years and stuff. So I mean, we I just I've had like the weirdest Catholic journey. But I stopped being Catholic when I was confirmation age. What's what's confirmation age? Well, my middle niece, my young, my older brother's middle daughter, is sixteen, and I think it happened to. her. Her last year, she decided it happened to her. Huh? Yeah, she decided <laughs> she not come, to be confirmed. It, it to all of us. We're twins, like we're basically the same person. I'm 46 years old, she's 16 years old, I and see. yet we have the same exact personality. And she um, decided not to become confirmed because of transubstantiation. Oh, nice. Yeah, she said, "I just can't. I get it. The sim- symbolic, symbolism, the yeah. symbolism is cool, but I can't honestly say in my heart that I believe in it." And when she explained it, it was very rever- reverential uh-huh. and also respectful. So she's respectful, but um, I was just mad. I was like in Sunday school with these this nice couple or catechism class. Uh-huh. Or, no, wait a minute, confirmation class. Okay, with these, with these, <laughs> those are all like the, foreign things to me. I don't well, know you know, and they're all I don't. Same here. But anyway, I was going to the Browns house for... Um, and you know what I'm talking about. This will be over soon, though. Because this, is my, this is the very end of my journey as a Catholic. Um, I went to like this specific training to for people that are becoming confirmed, which is one of your Catholic sacraments. And I, I just couldn't... I remember asking the question, like... I don't get it about premarital sex. Like, what does God care? And I don't get it about, like, why can, can't can a man marry a man? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I was constantly, like, asking these questions, which is why today's, you know, oh, reading okay. um, really resonates for me because I, I had lots and lots and lots of questions. And I, I wasn't even uh, knowledgeable enough nor experienced enough in my life at that point in order to be angry or mad or, like, taking it personally mm-hmm. i probably knew i was gay by then but i wasn't um i wasn't personalizing it it was just like i wanted to know the answer to the question mm-hmm. like why not and they couldn't answer it for me yeah. and i was just like i'm out of here i had other problems at the time it's funny how like the church like one of their huge like barriers in in their existence mm-hmm. is like children asking questions <laughs> right? That's true. It's, it's funny yeah if your huge organization is constantly butting up against children's just, natural just children asking natural questions yeah to ask questions about reasonable things and unreasonable things to be fair but well stereotypically mm-hmm. i mean i just i've heard again and again and, and again. i love stereotypes well, <laughs> But okay, this is a stereotypical thing about Jewish people is that the question is okay. Mm -hmm. Like I certainly know Mm. Jewish people who can't stand ambiguity. And I also know, you know, Christians that love it or people that were raised. But like a lot of my Jewish friends say, Matthew, like your sort of obsession with unanswerable questions and these big questions that don't actually have any answers or there's so many different answers or a variety of answers over the course of a lifetime or a variety of answer to the same question in different situations is perfectly fine in um, when you're a Jew. Whereas as a Catholic, like it was problematic. Right. So sort of on that note, have you ever read Bible before? <laughs> yes. I was forced to read parts of the Bible when I was a kid mm-hmm. and we read it every Sunday and every holy day in church, but never front to back. I've been meaning to take the Bible as literature course at 
Berkeley, oh. which is supposed to be great, I guess. Well, you could just listen to this podcast instead. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for years. So this is, I'm so Ours is that. like that course, except like two drinks in. Except, yeah, <laughs> yeah drug. Exactly. <laughs> and with a lot of swear words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, just for the record, I'm only having chamomile. That's true. I can the, vouch for that. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm drunk on the opportunity to <laughs> On the word of the, the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that's all right. Me too. Well, so today we're talking about the book of Habakkuk. Could you stop throwing papers everywhere? <laughs> uh, that was pointed. It was just when you said the name. Things start flying like, off I'm the shelves. I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so here's here's my little fast fact. Here's what you need to know about Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's He's the eighth out of 12 minor prophets <laughs> that we are cycling endlessly through. We're churning through them. Um, in Hebrew, it's Chavakuk, which might be from the Hebrew word for embrace, or it could be a type of Akkadian garden plant. Mm-hmm. And more people seem to think it's the latter. I don't really get why like a prophet would be named like aloe vera or like mm-hmm. daffodil, but apparently. Um, it takes place in the late 7th century B.C., after the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed by Assyria, but before the southern kingdom of Judah has been taken over by Babylon, mm-hmm. although it was presumably written after that because it knows about Babylon. Um, yeah, so he's in the southern kingdom, obviously, because it hasn't been destroyed yet. And historians apparently don't know anything about him. Like of all the prophets, we know the least about Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. Um, however, according to Jewish tradition, he's one of the people that was brought back to life by the prophet Elisha. In the book of Second Kings, remember when Elijah ascended to heaven and then Elisha got got uh, bringing back to life powers? Yeah, yeah. And, and he did that one where he laid the, him, him body top of other guy? Yeah, he laid him body top of other guy mm-hmm. and brought him back to life. So apparently in Jewish tradition, that guy he laid on top of was Habakkuk. Wow. Wait a minute. You can like lie on top of somebody in, somewhere in the Bible and... Another yes. dude. Yes, and bring it's him back the only life. time that a man is allowed to lie on top of a man <laughs> is to bring him back to, from the dead. Okay. And only only Elijah and know. Elisha ever do it. And he tried like a bunch of different ways too. He like oh. oh yeah, he did try like every way before that. So he sent his messenger with his staff first. Oh. And then the staff didn't have the power to bring the guy back. And so then Elisha decided to go there himself and he laid hands on him, laid hands on his head. And it didn't do anything. And he was like, all right, I got to do the full body thing. Mm-hmm. Body to body connection. It's the only In thing. In my neighborhood, we just call that a Friday night. <laughs> um, and we've also seen Habakkuk once before on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is mentioned. He was in our guest, the... of course, on the Second <laughs> Kings episode. <laughs> he was, he's mentioned in the apocryphal chapters in the book of Daniel. Um, when our guest, Scott Benson, mm-hmm. told us about the uh, story of Bell and the Dragon. And Daniel got put in the lion's den a second time. An angel picked Habakkuk up by the hair and flew him over to the lion's den to bring food for Daniel so he wouldn't starve. And I loved Habakkuk's uh, sort of point of view on that matter, which was like, I don't know where I'm going. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm not a cook. I don't know anything about food. Why am I? Why are you doing this? I like knowing that he wasn't bald. (laughs) Well, actually, Elisha, the guy who supposedly brought him back to life, Mm -hmm. was bald and some children made fun of him. And then he had he called on bears out of the woods to come kill the children. Oh, because they called him baldy. Yes. Mm -hmm. He was sensitive. Go on up, you bald head. I wonder if he was also a Leo. (laughs) (laughs) My dad's a Leo. I know what you're talking about. A bald Leo. (laughs) They can't take criticism. Is there anything sadder than a balder lion? A bald lion? Sadder than a bald lion? I like that cat that's skin only, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the hairless cat? The, yeah. Yeah. They're cute. They're cute, except that then they get that, like, you know that fat hanging belly that cats get? Oh, yeah. It looks really weird when there's no hair. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's Habakkuk. Uh, my Bible's notes say that the story about him getting uh, picked up by the hair by an angel mm-hmm. is uh, legendary rather than historical. So the rest of the notes are like, yes, Habakkuk definitely predicted the future. Miracles are definitely literally true. But like this angel hair thing, that's just ridiculous. Very Who unlikely. would believe that? Mm-hmm. Um, shall, we, shall we dive in? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So this book is structured 
in a similar way to some of the other minor prophets, in that it starts with a question, uh, the question is then answered, and it ends with a prayer. Yes. Well, there's a little dialogue. There is a little dialogue. More so than in most minor prophets. Mm -hmm. It's a little reminiscent of Job. It is a little bit, but it's a little more poetic, I guess, than Job. Yeah, much more poetry than philosophy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we start with our with our dialogue, and uh, Habakkuk is like, you know, how come there's all these sinners in Judah, and you're not doing anything about it? And God's like, don't worry, don't don't worry one hair on that pretty little head that an angel grabbed you by. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Babylon ready to go and destroy you and everyone you love. Um, and then he, God describes how fearsome and destructive Babylon is. Did you write down any uh, any good lines from this one? Oh my, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, oh my, yes. <laughs> Heavens. Because uh, I really like the opening passage when Habakkuk is is questioning God. Me too. Um, he says, basically, why do you why do you? He doesn't say basically. This is a quote. <laughs> I have to be specific. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? He asks God. Which is a, a very passive way of, 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 or it's not a passive way. It's a very solipsistic way. I mean, of talk about personalizing something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, sin exists only to bother me. Right. <laughs> it's like if you're letting sin exist, why are you letting me see it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but regardless, the, the essential question is like, there are crimes unpunished. People in my homeland are going to die because the Chaldeans are coming, even though we've kept our covenant. And like, how is that just? Matthew, did you write, write down any good lines? Or I actually note? really liked the line, the wicked happen the righteous so that justice is perverted. Mm. That's also a good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. It's good. I, I get a little bit more, though, that he's like overwhelmed by what's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. Than completely personalizing it. Yeah, Maybe no. I'm wrong, though. Well, I think that's fair. Um, if you had read seven other minor prophets before this, oh, you might okay. be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. But I think actually yours is, is a much better interpretation because it's not like they were written in order. They were written by different people at different mm-hmm. historical times. And so it's kind of not really fair to read them all in a row. Well, just, yeah. And just for the record, I've read exactly zero of the others. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Although it's, I've listened to you talk about one of them. So. It's interesting to me that if we think about where we join Habakkuk in his sort of in his spiritual journey, he's a prophet. We know that. Mm-hmm. So he must have spent a lot of time talking with God and delivering these messages to people. And basically religion is his whole life. So we join him at this moment when he's basically at his lowest mm-hmm. that he sees destruction. He sees injustice, but he can't find a justification for it. Um, so we've sort of cut out all of the the, the golden years of of Habakkuk's. Uh-huh, and we're uh, just we're prophecy. just right at the midlife crisis, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. At that turning point, which is a nice edit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, the line that I wrote down is from when um, God is like describing how fearsome and destructive Babylon is, mm-hmm. and uh, he it says their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Yeah. And I was just like, those are some fucked up horses. <laughs> Can you imagine you're like walking in the woods? It's, it's getting close to dusk. The sun's going down. You, you want to make it home before sundown? You hear a little rustle in the bush. Like, what was that? Oh, no, it was probably just a squirrel. Just keep going. You hear another rustle. You break out into a run, but it's too late. A horse comes out and rips you apart. <laughs> right. Yes. Mm. Fiercer than a wolf. <laughs> yes. Their horsemen come from far away. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence with faces pressing forward. They gather captives like sand. It's good. It's it's pretty good it's, poetry. It's, it's like some. Nice. I think it's actually yeah. some of the best poetry that we've seen, certainly in the Minor Prophets. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Obadiah was quite good too. Obadiah and I liked uh, I liked Micah too. I liked some bits of Micah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. But this is good. This is it's this good. is holding its own against this those. Is for sure. mm-hmm. This is good. I think. Stuff. I think it has potential. This drama. <laughs> um. Then after after God describes that, Habakkuk's like, okay, that's great. My country's going to be destroyed and all the sinners are going to be destroyed. I'm mm-hmm. psyched about that part. But, like, does it have to be by Babylonians? Because, like, they're even worse than us. <laughs> and the exact line that I wrote down is, why do you tolerate the treacherous? 
Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? But God answers back in chapter two. Yes. Uh, which is an unusual luxury among <laughs> that's true among believers from God, my, from my limited understanding. God really, yeah, he does actually try to answer his questions. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, though. But in general, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Like when you were praying and you were a kid and a Christian, mm-hmm. did you hear back from God? No, never. Did you tell people that you did? I think I just avoided the question. Oh. How about you? Um, well, I sometimes thought I would hear God or like know in my heart or something. Right, right, yeah. But um, I felt like I had a really good moral compass. And I actually feel like I still do. I feel like at, back then I did. But I, I don't, this is one of the great mysteries to me. Like, what is that thing? Because I don't really, I can't believe in God in the way that I think that it would be more convenient for me to. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I'm on the atheist side of agnostic. Sure. Although I, I would like to be able to believe that there's like this way in which we can talk, but I absolutely cannot have it be intervening at all. Like there's mm. no way that God can like help me with like get a book deal. Or, <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? Like the, He's not going to make your football team win. Or, or you know, even like I think by, I remember a crisis of faith that I had when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys want to hear about it. Like, yeah, right please. Now. But the opening, the first book actually really reminded me of it. So my mom, I don't know why she decided to tell me this at such a young age, but her best friend, who was a big part of my upbringing, she was like another mom to me, Mm -hmm. she had gotten pregnant against all the odds. She really wanted to have kids, but she was not supposed to be able to um, get pregnant. And then she did. She was pregnant, and she miscarried it in her third trimester. And Uh. it was really horrible in a million ways. And I just remember, like, my mom came to me, and she told me, like, look, Ruth is pregnant. We need to pray for her. And so every night I would just like pray, 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 pray. And also Catholics are big on the notion that you don't pray for yourself. Like you don't pray for like stuff that you want. You pray for others and then you'll be provided for. I see. And so um, at least that's how I interpreted it when I was a kid. And so I was happy to pray for Ruth who was fantastic for me. And then when she lost her baby, I was just like, I didn't get it. It was like, that didn't make any sense Hmm. to me. And also I had already heard a lot about abortion at that age. It was weird, like at school and in other places, um, just around church and friends. Like it was weird how much they let kids like hear Uh about like (laughs) what women were supposedly doing with their pregnancies and bodies, but then what they tried to shelter us from like shoulders. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like shoulders are dangerous. I like shoulders, (laughs) but I just feel like they're much safer for a child's psyche than the... Some of them are very pointy, though. (laughs) That's true. From my understanding, I've never seen one personally. (laughs) Shoulder? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. No, Um, I keep it all covered. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) But I just, I don't... So these were were some of the things that were confusing. But when she she did lose her baby, I mean, I was just, I was like, I was kind of like done. I was, mm. and I didn't tell anybody. It was all internal, but uh, I remember having that piece, and also like this opening piece that Habakkuk has. And and I also just remember feeling very personally, like during the AIDS crisis, like how much more, like how many more, that kind of thing. But it was less about God and more about government at the mm-hmm. time. Sure. And so I related to the just like the the plea, but I just I'm always curious if people like feel like they had heard some sort of spiritual guidance yeah no i never felt that way Hmm. Um, did you have an inner knowing no i felt confused all the time (laughs) and i felt very strongly that i didn't understand anything and nothing made sense then what kept you going um well like fear and guilt i think Hmm. um because i was really afraid of going to hell and then also i was very like saturated with this idea that humans are sinful and bad and God loves us anyway, like despite the fact that we don't deserve love. So I thought of myself as, as a being that was really sinful and didn't deserve to be loved. And therefore like, it didn't matter if I didn't feel God's presence or whatever. That was just cause I was sinful and worthless mm-hmm. and I was going to go to hell if I didn't keep praying. Um, 
that's what kept me going. <laughs> that's such a bad thing to keep people going. I know, especially when you're a little kid and you I don't know. like Aww. you don't like have anything else to compare it to, you know? Now that I'm an adult, I'm like, wow, that's like That's not a good option. It's not no. sustainable and mm-hmm. it's not like yeah. It it doesn't help you like even if I were still a Christian, that would not be the angle that I would want to approach it from. But what about Jesus? What about Jesus? <laughs> Great question. For, like for me, like I remember when I was a kid, like Jesus was my go-to whenever like the God stuff got too heavy. Um, like whenever I was going to burn in hell, I'm like, yeah, but Jesus just walked around in a cute outfit, loving people, including a hooker, <laughs> right? You know. So, um, I mean, like I really liked the story of Jesus. I mean, I still do, but. Are you saying you prayed separately to Jesus than to God? Well, yeah. In Catholic religion, you pray to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Mary. You're right. And you can pray, pray to saints too, right? Or Absolutely. Yeah. You can pray to any saint for any reason. Like, so in Protestantism, like there's the Holy Trinity, but you don't really separate it out very much. Mm-hmm. So I never prayed separately to like Jesus or God. That was the same thing to me. And Nico, I'm sorry. Do you, I'm curious. Just mm-hmm. like, did you have like that? I know you weren't raised, raised religious, but like, did you have that that inner voice? Like, when you stop to think about things, like, where did you hear something or feel something? Uh, it's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, I did. I mean, like, when anybody is growing up, I feel like there are times when you when you question things and you don't understand or you feel confused or or angry or upset and you try to find some answer. And I didn't find an answer most of the time. Um, uh, but I had parents that, that loved me very much and that provided very good vi- guidance. And I grew up in an atmosphere that uh, steered me towards things that I found productive and enjoyable. I, d- I don't know what to tell you. I, don't, I didn't really have a voice that, that answered back or any very strong sense of this is absolutely the right thing to do. As I think about it now, like I sometimes sort of encounter that now. Like if I if I think about something and or if I make a decision and I feel like, yes, that was the right decision. And I feel this sort of peace and like, yes, that was the right thing to do. I understand why I did it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I never felt that when I believed in God. <laughs> but yeah. I think that that may be sort of the thing that people might feel or be looking for when they pray. Like wisdom. This, I mean, that's wisdom, a sense of knowing the- in yourself, like that something is true or that you should take some certain path. But I only felt that after I became an atheist. Mm -hmm. I only felt that when I had accrued some experience and had something to compare it to. Honestly, as a, as a child, I never felt much surety about things besides, you know, like I said, being steered towards music and stuff like that, which I felt was just a, a complete good for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it felt good and it, made me happy and was a useful investment of my time. Uh, but in terms of moral stuff or, or anything like that, no, not really. Mm-hmm. So you felt like you got that more from Jesus than from God? Jesus was also a short fuse. I mean, it just, I felt like the, I always had these huge questions and I was always, I have a long history of outrage about <laughs> injustice. And I started witnessing unjust injustice and, and picking up on injustices um, from a very early age. And I did notice differences. I just felt like like my mom got shafted. Like my dad got mm. to do whatever he wanted and she had to like do all this crap and never got any credit for it. And when they got separated, my mom had been what's called a Eucharistic minister. And that's somebody who has the special um, privilege of being able to pass out the body of Christ during the mass ceremony. And she also took it to administer to people who are in um, elderly oh, facilities. Yeah, that's, or, that's how my grandmother receives communion. Right. Somebody comes in. Somebody yeah. like my mom went to go give it to her. And my father and my mother's marriage was rocky for many reasons, um, none of which had to do with, um, you know, luckily, the, it just, like, there was a lot of problems, but none of them were like, heinous or horrible but it certainly wasn't my mom's fault but when she they had tried three different times to like make their marriage work after separating and they did marriage counseling through the catholic church it's called crescio and it's uh, called what crescio crescio yes that sounds like somebody's like like drag queen name i was gonna say it sounds like a startup (laughs) 
startup. Yeah, or it sounds to me it's like crec.io. Yeah, <laughs> to me, it's my my the thing that it sounds like is like an ingredient that you would put in like a delicious fattening food in order to make it less fattening. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Potato chips. Yeah, thanks to Crescio, the... 70% less fat. <laughs> thanks to the inventiveness of American industry. <laughs> yeah, we can now enjoy our potato chips with 70% less fat. Right. So they tried and tried it even through the avenues that were available to them in the church to make their marriage work, and they just couldn't. And then, you know, had decided when the first time that they were separated, like they told my mom, like, you can't iron the vestry and you can't give out the Eucharist, the, the Eucharist. And I was just like, she was, she accepted it. But I was like, that's bullshit. Like I was like <laughs> 10 on a scale of one to 10 of outrage. It's like, you're doing them a favor. Like I didn't, I got it that it's a joy to be of service to something bigger than you. And that it enables, it enables you to get out of your own selfish wants, needs, and desires and whatever, which can serve as a relief. Even as a young person, I understood that. But what I didn't understand is how, like they use that to then punish her mm-hmm. and like make a public sort of example big, of her example whatever, yeah. of her and it outraged me and several other things did too and and those were the things for which you know no way of um no way that i was ever introduced to through my religious upbringing was i uh you know taught to like meditate or listen to what jesus or god might say to me um, nor was I directed to the Bible in those ways. I was just supposed to always accept what the authorities said. Yeah, that's more Catholic. They're more like the authorities tell you. And then Protestants are like, the authorities don't know anything. It's the Bible. Uh-huh. Speaking of accepting what the authorities tell you, we are the authorities on this show. And you <laughs> must accept that it is time we take a break. And we will continue with our discussion of Habakkuk in about a minute. Hurrah! Bye! Bye. <laughs> Back to Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. I'm Lauren. And we are here with a guest. It's Matthew Clark Davison. Yay, Matthew Clark Davison. Hello. Hi. And obviously, we're talking about Habakkuk. That's the name of the episode. Obviously. This isn't live or anything. I don't know. What else would we be, like, what other book of the Bible would we even want to talk about when we had Habakkuk? Excellent question. Answers? None. <laughs> I heard you about to give one. <laughs> no, no, Not the kind no, of question that gets answered. No, no, no. We only like questions. We just made it to the second chapter. Uh, yeah, so so in the in the first chapter, um, Habakkuk was asking some questions, <laughs> and in the second chapter, God's going to give some more answers. Uh, he, <laughs> in specific, is going. Why are you laughing? I don't know. It's funny. It's funny that God is going to give some more answers. Well, he is. Okay. In specific, he um, Habakkuk wanted to know why it was the Babylonians that were going to pu- punish the Judeans mm-hmm. when the Babylonians are worse. Mm-hmm. And um, God says, you know, don't worry. After I use Babylon to punish Judah, then I'm going to punish Babylon too. That's definitely something uh, that we've seen a million times before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he starts talking shit about Babylon. And there's some real good lines in there. It's true. Yeah. I have, uh, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. How did Habakkuk know about the podcast Crime Down? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> and, or Donald Trump. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know. I know. Just because he's, it's, it's all about him doesn't just mean because, it's all about yeah, him. Yeah, just because Donald Trump right. is the apocalypse doesn't mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my favorite 
line in there is, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin until they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Because that one seems uh, a kind of specific. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to wonder if we're still talking about the nation of Babylon or if we're talking about a party that Habakkuk went to where he got into some trouble. There was always that question. And, and Habakkuk's... Uh call to that person who gets their neighbors drunk is you will be sated with contempt instead of glory drink you yourself and stagger the cup in the lord's right hand will come around to you and shame will come upon your glory Hmm. i like that it's good there is also this one line in there where it says his desires uh like the desires of the wicked desires (laughs) his desires the desires of the wicked Mm -hmm. man um, are not upright but the righteous will live by faith alone so that verse became the basis for the Protestant doctrine of sola fide or faith alone. Mm. Um, so like Catholic doctrine says that you get into heaven on the basis of faith and works. Like you can commit mortal sins that will send you to hell. My understanding of it anyway. You yes, can. that's true. So but then like Martin Luther came along and he was like, no, all that matters is faith. Like works don't matter. Um And so on the one hand, it kind of seems like he was really taking this verse out of context Mm because it's clearly not talking about like going to heaven. But on the other hand, it's kind of a sick burn on Catholics because he's like implicitly comparing them to Babylon. (laughs) So I didn't realize like this is like one of the defining features of Protestantism. This Mm -hmm. is like one of the central things. And I had no idea that it was actually like secretly insulting Catholics real bad. (laughs) I I can't yeah I I don't know if I understand it um, as well as I need to in order to be insulted as an expert. <laughs> yes, sure. but I'm willing. I'm I mean, willing I to. think he, Martin Luther was always more interested in insulting the like clergy than in. Oh, the I see. When people. Martin Luther chose that particular passage, yes. as a cornerstone. Oh, yes. got it. Okay, I think. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not an expert. This is just what I was like reading about as I looked this up on the internet. Uh-huh. Right. That's interesting, though. Um, you didn't use the encyclopedia? You didn't ask your librarian? Well, actually, my Bible did have some scholarly notes about, it was like, this is the rallying cry of Protestants. And I was oh. like, yep, it is. <laughs> Thanks. When Habakkuk wrote this, who was it? Like, who did he give the copy to in order to, like, go into the book? Like, wh- how did... So that's, like, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> um, so the theory is that Habakkuk was a Levite. Uh, that he worked in the temple, essentially. Yeah, so the, the Levites are like priest. the priestly class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the assumption about that is due to the fact that the third chapter, which we haven't gotten to yet, is a prayer that includes specific instructions for like how to perform it in the temple style, mm-hmm. like which instruments to play and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and when we've seen that before, it's been associated with Levites. Mm-hmm. So in that case, usually the usually the like priestly class, class would be the gatekeepers on like what makes it into canon. But then... Then it gets way more complicated because there's been like 1,200 years since then. Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of important councils. Um, <laughs> Maybe. When they like opened the books on like what is canon and like in, in Judaism at least. And the last one was in like 100 AD I have or no something idea. like that. And it wasn't part of this like in the Dead Sea Scrolls or something too. This was not. Yes, they found they found this and a commentary on this in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, really? The first only the first two chapters, though. Oh, okay. Right, there was something like the third one was written later. I think I read that. Probably. Yeah. So the third one. Should, should we get into the third one? Sounds good. So it's it was probably added in later. Um, it's instead of being a dialogue like the first two chapters, it's just like a prayer, um, in the form of a song, um, and like Nico was saying, it, you know, it says it's. For the director of music on my stringed instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like gives specific instructions for how to perform this in the temple. Um, so that actually probably means that it's older than yeah. the rest of the material, even though they were put together later. Right. Um, because generally, I mean, at least according to James Kugel, uh, if like the songs are usually the oldest passages. And this one actually definitely seems older because... It envisions God as coming from a specific place rather than being omnipresent, which is more of a later idea. Yeah, it makes the comparison between an idol and God in his temple. Yeah. And the and idea of God in his temple is older than... It also says, uh, like, God came from Timon, the Holy One mm-hmm. from Mount Paran, whatever those are. Which is especially weird because I've never heard of those places. 
But they could be alternate names for places we've already visited. I didn't I didn't check. Well, yeah, they might be and they might have been like mentioned briefly before. But like usually in passages that conceive of God as coming from one specific place, Mm -hmm. it's like from Mount Horeb slash Mount Sinai. Right. So I wonder if this came from like a slightly different tradition Mm. and was like shoved in here to be integrated yeah, into if the only whole. we had asked our local librarian there's a little note here it says god is pictured as coming from the area south of judah during the exodus mount Paran, and probably northwest of the gulf of aquaba <laughs> and south of kadesh barnea between adam and sinai well there you have it <laughs> yeah, but wow i but i do i think that i mean i'm a writer and and you know what I do is like, if the town that the person was actually in doesn't sound as pretty as the town mm-hmm. in my head <laughs> mm-hmm. for the poem or the song, then I'm I'm going to change it. Sure, because sure. it's going to give you the emotional mm. thing that you need. It's possible. It's possible. It just flows so much better in <clears throat> Hebrew, or like it really doesn't like the, it messes up the scansion. I mean, Taman and Paran rhyme, I guess. No, no, no. I'm talking about the English because the way that I was raised religious is that that's the only. Oh, <laughs> right. There is no acknowledgement right. of this as a translation. Of course. Um, it's the word of God. But that's, but before. God spoke in modern English. But before Vatican II, it was in Latin. So <laughs> good point. <laughs> God spoke in two languages, Latin and modern English. Sure. Um, but the song is is pretty cool I think the song is beautiful I think it has some really good lines I wrote uh, Sun and moon stood still in the heavens At the glint of your flying arrows At the lightning of your flashing spear In wrath you strode through the earth And in anger you threshed the nations You came out to deliver your people To save your anointed one Also in, in that section The mountains saw you and writhed A torrent of water swept by The deep gave forth its voice I like that we have quivering lips and trembling legs and all that. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. That like decaying bones really hit me. That was like. Yeah. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That is a that's a that's a beautiful moment of faith. Yeah. You know, that is like the 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 highest moment of faith when you can be without any material uh, evidence of God or God's favor and still wait for the uh, whatever you get. And still rejoice. Yeah. Rejoice. Yeah. I like that. I, this is where it's, it really gets tough for me. <laughs> Go on. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's, you know, I always get mad about songs like this because I'm wondering, like, who was in charge of dispensing this particular song okay. and to whom and, and why? But first, there's also his beef with um, Idol Tree. Like, mm. Yes. Yes. And, I, I, and that's the more interesting story that I could... I can tell you. Oh, money. then please, because so idolatry is, um, I would say it's like the main point of the Bible <laughs> so far. Like the main point of the Old Testament is don't worship idols. Yeah. I mean, the solid, solidly the first 30, 40% was like all about idol worship. But Catholicism is really, really interesting because Protestants like, consider Catholicism I- idol worship because yeah. of all the saints and saints and statues and, Mary. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So my mom and I, she's in a relationship with a woman, you know, like, I'm living in Italy. I had never done anything. She was she was a great mom in a million ways. And I had never done anything really great for her. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, okay, I could take her on a trip through Umbria where St. Francis and St. Clara are from. And actually, I met this travel agent who specialized in religious tourism. And it wasn't, you didn't need to be religious, right, right. but she could take you um, on stops along a saint's path yes. for example yeah, and so yeah. we did that in umbria and it was absolutely amazing that does we sound were, amazing it was incredible and so we're we had gone to this one um what are they called um the giant churches um cathedral, cathedral. <laughs> yeah in uh, um i think in orvieto or assisi i can't remember which one but um we went there and so we get into the 
basement of this church and we are lining up and with the other Catholics and I'm reading. And at this point I spoke a little bit of Italian because it was when I was newer there and I was reading it and I was thinking, this says that this statue got up and flew around the church <laughs> and presented itself as a miracle to, and there's all sorts of stuff like that throughout Italy. There's like part of the nail from the cross and in this cathedral and that, and they love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like relics and relics yeah. that are like, but really hardcore creepy. <laughs> and so my mom and I are in the car and I'm, I'm assuming that we're having one conversation, which is, I was just like, you know, my, and, and one of the other conversations that we had had was a dead serious one where my mom was telling me about a friend of hers whose dog was sick and she had called the dog psychic. <laughs> so things had evolved for my mom over the years around like, okay. what was acceptable forms of spirituality. I mean, that kind of thing in my house when I was a kid would have been like to just only illuminate what a crazy person would be. Right. To and, be fair, St. Francis is the closest thing Catholicism has to a dog psychic. Absolutely true. And so I just I, we were we were on theme. Yes, totally. Yeah. But um, but so my mom had like really gotten to a point where it was like she never made fun of me or any of my friends. And by then I had like friends who were Wiccan and like people. She was just like she was totally neutral and cool about everybody's deal and kind of always had been. But she's no longer Catholic either. And so I'm thinking we're having this conversation. I was just like, oh, my God, you know, mom, it's just like so crazy to me that these people, they can't think a man can be married to a man or be with a man and a woman can be you know she's with a woman at right, the time right and i'm saying but they'll line up to see a flying statue <laughs> to, and all collectively believe that they're a flying statue and then all of a sudden the conversation went this weird 180 where she was like and why wouldn't it ye of little faith and i was like mom it's, the, the statue, it's statue didn't fly it's a statue like so um this reminded me of that story. I had completely forgotten about that. That's interesting. And I just wonder, like, how Catholics get around that. Because they don't think of themselves right. as worshiping idols at all. It's more like these objects then become only like a vehicle or a reminder, I think, of what they're really worshiping, which is God. Right. Well, all the idol worshiping stuff... Well, to be fair, I've never read the New Testament, but I've gotten the gist of it. <laughs> and my understanding is it doesn't really focus that much on hating on idol worship no it's it, that's definitely less of a focus I, right mm-hmm. yeah. so if you focused more on the new testament you'd get less of the idol worship uh bias anti-idol worship bias <laughs> am i wrong in thinking that the idol stuff in the old testament is more of a way of heating people um, hurting people away from like mono i mean like multi-theistic religions and towards a monotheistic yes it is that but i think even more than that it's just a way of hurting people away from different cultures so mm-hmm. it's like no, we're not worshiping the Egyptian gods here because we're not Egyptian. Mm-hmm. We're not worshiping the Babylonian gods here because we're not Babylonian. Okay, like we're Israelites. That's our community. That's how we define ourselves. And we're not going to worship those gods. Okay. But you see early in the Bible, there's a lot of stuff where it's like it doesn't um, it doesn't deny that there's many gods. Mm-hmm. It just says that we this only is, worship this one God. This is the God that favors us. Yeah, this is our God. So mm-hmm. like like. Asherah might exist, Baal mm-hmm. might exist, but our God is way stronger and he can beat all them. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought it was a denial of the existence. I mean, too. that's certainly how it's um how Christians interpret all of that now. Mm-hmm. But at the time it was written, that was it was clearly not the case. It was like it was like gods were competing for for favor or whatever. That that they were all in competition and yeah. they were all in play. Yeah. And that the God of the Jews was you know, Jews had to really respect their God and not stray from that path because he had shown favor to them. Got it. Oh, and they were the chosen. And that is like, yeah. um, that's like the whole gambit of like all of this, right? Mm-hmm. So everything you're reading here about like Babylon destroying Judah for its wickedness and then Babylon also being destroyed is also, it's all based on like worshiping false gods. So like too many Israelites in Judah are worshiping these false gods. Yeah. Therefore, they need to get punished. But Babylon also worships false gods. So therefore, they're going to get punished. That's It's all based on that, which is like just a cultural marker. It's just like a shibboleth, really. Yeah. But like the whole <laughs> Old Testament is based on it. Good to know. Yeah. It's weird. I think there's only really one thing left to do and that's to rate this book rate this book mm-hmm. how would you rate this book my dear um i think i'm gonna give it 
five out of seven fierce horses. Okay. Why? Um, well, some great poetry in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm interested in the way that it involves question and answer, which is not you don't see that in a lot of the other prophets, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, there's like a little bit of it, but... But it appears in some of the most effective books. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked I really liked that idea. Um, and it was nice and short. <laughs> I always give points for it being short. But of course, I mean, having read... I mean, I've read so much about how Babylon is going to be punished, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep caring about that, but... Um, I suppose it wasn't hard for them to keep caring about it when they <laughs> no, it. I don't think it was. It was a pretty big deal. Matthew, what would you give this book? I think I would give the book a um, a nice high eight out of ten wolves at dusk. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or I could give it no, 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 eight no. out of ten. The guest, please, you you have. Olive crops. You have you have first wolf rights. Okay, we promise full first wolf rights to all of our guests. Of course, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm picturing this gray wolf at sunset. You know, it should be out at Ocean Beach. So it should yeah. be, and then yeah. it it comes out of the bushes and it's a horse. Yeah, and it rips you to pieces. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was it made me think of a lot of good things. What uh, what kept it from being a like a full ten or however many you gave it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> a full eight or ten or nice whatever. Hosting. Nice hosting. Okay. <laughs> he, in a nutshell, I would say it's not that God doesn't provide answers mm-hmm. because I like an unanswerable question. It's my favorite thing. It's that God's placating in a weird way in my reading of it. Like you just have to wait. You just have to wait without really answering his questions. Like not engaging with the question. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it, not engaging in specifics. I see. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like a robot. Um, I mean, it's just like whatever question you put into this machine, it can spit out the answer just wait. Yeah, like when you pull the string on the back of a doll. Yeah. God yeah. is as magic eight ball. Yeah. But it only says one thing. <laughs> Every side of the little cube. Time will is... tell. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I will give this book. Uh, let's get, well, let's do like 12 out of 15 moons stood still in their place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all the same reasons that you all did. Um, the question and answer format is the intriguing thing for me. I think that's a, it's a spiritually interesting way to approach a, a book of prophecy as well as a, an interesting way to structure it in a, in a literary, literary sense. Literary device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And... I also don't really like God's answers that much because <laughs> you're absolutely right. The, you pinpointed the thing that I was feeling, which was that he doesn't engage with the question on, on like a human level. He answers it in in term in words like, you know, it'll all be sorted out. But that's not really the question. The question is like, why? How? how? Like, why am I seeing this? You know, like I thought there was justice. And the answer is there is justice, but it's not on a human scale. You know, it's on a scale of nations or generations or whatever which is like a crappy answer for a human being yeah it doesn't do anything for poor habakkuk no although he he seems to accept the answer well he has to he's a prophet well he has his guitar that he needs well i guess that came before (laughs) well i think he has his guitar yeah he has his his harp i kind of feel like habakkuk like went like you know to his mom like after like something really specific happened at school and was like hey like i'm really upset about this and like went and told his mom, like all the details, and his mom's like, smoking her cigarette. Like, Honey, grab a popsicle from the freezer. Dinner's gonna be ready at six. Like, but mom, I just told you all my feelings, and that that kept it from being a few more wild wolves for me. Yeah, see. the popsicle cigarette problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys have been there. Haven't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, shall we shall we get to some listener mail? We should. Um, we got a mail a mail. We got an email. We got a mail. We got some mails from We got a schwa mail. A listener That's a mail, right? <laughs> a listener named Anando, who says that the concept of alphas and betas in biology does not work 
like the way you allude to in the Nahum episode. Mm-hmm. We were talking about alpha and beta lions. And I said, I said that we're totally just projecting our human shit onto them. And it's true. I knew it. And you're right. And I'm happy that you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a better world where. Because now the lions have feminism, just mm-hmm. like I wanted. That's right. <laughs> um, and Anando also says, thanks for all the work of reading the Bible for me. As a sort of Hindu who has lived in Alabama all my life, I appreciate it. Hopefully we can give you some good facts that you can use in Bible fights in Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get in Bible fights. Get in Bible fights. (laughs) Mm, Depends on where you are. (laughs) Have lots of friends with you. (laughs) We also, in our longstanding and storied tradition, have a dog to bless. Um, Our listener John writes, This is my dog Barney. He lives in England with my family close to the famous town of Halifax, home of local hero Micah Blunt. We mentioned in the Micah episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm far away for most of the year in Japan. So if the Almighty, by which of course I mean Lauren and Nico, oh, could yeah. send him a blessing, I'd feel much better about the distance. And there's um, there's a, a picture of Barney. He's a he's an old looking little spaniel type of dog. Mm-hmm. And he's one winking of, at us. He's one of his eyes is closed and he's very cute. Look like a good dog. Matthew, would you do the honors of blessing Barney? Barney. Glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. Barney's splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Yay, Barney! Perfect. Good dog. (laughs) Hello. Good dog. That's your blessing, Barney. If you want to have a uh, pet blessed, if it's a dog... Of course, we will bless it if it's a cat. We unfortunately cannot bless them. We can only curse them. Cats need curses. All you need to do is send us a photo of the animal in question. To... If it's a different type of animal, I don't know what we'll do. We'll have to evaluate it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. If you have an unusual animal you that some you... some sort f- of bird or reptile. ...feel like it needs... A fish. ...some, some sort of biblical judgment. <laughs> we could we could make it happen. We'll try our best. You can send email with, of course, a photo of the uh pet in question to contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol so that about wraps it up for our episode uh matthew where can people find you online find your work uh take your classes everything is linked from matthewclarkdavison.com how many t's <laughs> one t in matthew and one d <laughs> those are lies the first letter, letter the, the first those are letter. lies yeah. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-C-L-A-R-K-D-A-V-I-S-O-N.com. Yeah, you can find everything there. You did so good at spelling your name. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Everyone is proud of you. Thank you. I, the other day I told my younger brother that David Davison is Davison, not Davidson. You had to tell your younger brother that. I, and then I remembered he was my brother and he's been dealing with it. For oh, like <laughs> oh I see. I thought your brother effect. was like, wait, I thought we were Davidson. No, no. I just forgot who I was talking <laughs> oh, to for a second. You can find us on Twitter at SunSchoolDrop. And you can find me on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. You can find Matthew on Twitter, although yeah. you don't tweet that much. I don't tweet that much. I'm more getting an Instagram these days. Oh, yeah. I don't have Instagram. What's your Instagram name? My Twitter name is Letters to the Dead, and With two is the number. Num- number two. And then my Instagram is The Lab with MCD, but it has like underscores and stuff. I have to check it out. It's <laughs> on my website. MatthewClarkDavidson.com. Exactly. <laughs> and you can find uh, us on Facebook if you look for Sunday School Dropouts. Oh, yeah, that too. Also, if you want to. We're not on Instagram. <laughs> We're not on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. If you want to help other people find the show, one of the most helpful things you can do is to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, And if we get to 100 reviews, we will cyber bully Nico into joining Twitter. That's apparently what we're doing. Um, He agreed to it. It seems strange, but it's actually one of the most helpful ways uh, to get other people to find the show and listen to it, which is, I mean, the objective of the show. Yes. Um, And of course, we always thank Elise Carlton for our beautiful logo. And we thank Nico, I thank Nico, for our sound engineering, editing, and original music. You're welcome, my dear. The opening song is amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I was not expecting the little, you know, all of a sudden. All of a sudden. Yeah. It's like you're in Sunday school, but then... You drop out. You drop out. You drop out and start rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Um, well done, listeners, for making it through another episode of this goddamn podcast. That's right. Uh, my name is Nico Bagulich. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And we want to thank Matthew again for being on the show. 
Thank you. And we'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.